Welcome to the FE Research Podcast, a podcast that aims to showcase the practitioner inquiry, scholarship and research being carried out within further education. There is uh, a few interesting findings, actually, not just from the students, but from other people as well. Um, what I did find is that it had a, a proven impact on reading ages from the small cohort that I actually that I piloted it with. I did use it with all of my GCSE students, but I just focused data-wise on a, on a small group. Um, and I did notice that their, uh, their reading age improved by at least one year, um, in some cases two. Um, it really did kind of highlight a focus on reading as well, not just with the English department, but, um, you know, with other areas around the college and uh, significantly with our additional learning support department as well. They've picked up on quite a few of the, the ideas that were kind of run along with the project. Welcome to the FE Research Podcast. My name is Joe Fletcher-Saxon and my partner in crime is... It's Alistair Smith. Hello, Joe. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Not too bad. Thank you very much. So we are approaching, we are finally approaching the summer holidays. And I'm sure for many, it's felt like the longest year. It, or was that last year? I don't know. They've all blurred into one as well. Two years. <laughs> it's two years. We are post-tag. I think that will be the official term for now. Post-tag era, till next year maybe. Um, yeah, so what are your plans for the summer holidays? Um, I need to escape from a desk and a computer screen and Zoom meetings and Teams meetings and all those things that happen along the way. And I might even get a chance to pick up a book. What about you, Joe? Well, do you know what? I'm heading to Lincoln for a holiday. <laughs> uh, is that at the time when I run away? Yeah. <laughs> Possibly, yes. Other than that, I don't know yet. Right, let's crack on then, because we have a fantastic guest with us today. I'm going to tell you a bit about her. So her name is Angie Lenton. She's an English teacher coordinator at Northampton College. She teaches GCSE English. She's also taught functional skills on A-level. Um, she has been an ITT mentor as well. She's a specialist in literacy and also dyslexia. So obviously I've got an interest there. Oh, and you actually, both interested in that topic, aren't we? Um, she's written for the Times Ed, um, but she's here to tell us a bit about her Education and Training Foundation funded project. It's another one of the OTLAs. So that's the Outstanding Teaching, Learning and Assessment Programme. So hello, Angie, how are you? Hi, Joe. I am really good. Thank you. Lovely, lovely of you to join us. So, so look, let's get cracking. Tell us all about this project and how it came about. Right. OK, so um, how it came about is really interesting, actually. So last year, we obviously had our very first lockdown. Um, and during that time, it was a massive learning curve for a lot of us. Then we all started to go back into education and college, didn't we? And at that point, um, our college decided that it wasn't going to be running functional skills anymore for any of our 16 to 19 study programme students. Instead, everybody was going to be on GCSE English. And it kind of, I did agree 
with that, absolutely wholeheartedly, I do think that everybody needs to have that opportunity of resitting GCSE. And it really made me kind of stop and think about um, the people that really struggle with GCSE, how we can get them to engage in it, um, how we can actually get them to love doing it rather than dread doing it. Uh, so it was one of those kind of light bulb moments round about last June-ish where I thought, right, what can we actually do? Because I wanted to put together a whole new programme for these students that were coming in to do GCSE that have got a grade two or below. So that was where my whole kind of process started from. Okay. So how did you get involved with the OTLA um, stuff? I was just looking around. We were doing some digital training with the ETF. And I was just having a bit of a nose around their website. Uh, and I came across uh, this uh, research OTLA thing that they do, this action research. Um, and I just thought it was really interesting. So I looked at it. So what was involved in it, um, read some of the previous research projects that had been done as well. And I thought, right, I'm going to go for this because I've got these all these huge ideas about how I can help these students get a really good grade in GCSE. Um, and that's where it all started from, really. Okay. And so tell us about the, a bit about the process with OTLA then. Do you, as with sort of practice focused research do you sort of define a research question or a set of research questions no it's uh you can't you do come up with an initial proposal um and it's it's so broad and so open it do, they do focus it around math and english at the moment i think this year was uh, primarily an english focus but it's so open that you can choose whatever you want to do so with, uh, if you look at the, the things that are going to be published over the next couple of months that have come out from this OTLA experience, there's been people using emojis in work. Um, there's people developing databases to help with marking. It's just so broad and so wide. So uh, you just you send them off for a proposal. You get the backing of your college as well. So I got my um, head of school to send in a, a, a small piece as well, so just saying that they were backing me. Uh, so it's quite a formal process that you go through and then you kind of get chosen from there to go forward into the project. Yeah. So um, and how long do you carry out your kind of project or intervention for? So I, I was very, very keen. So I started my research quite early on in about July, just when um, I'd actually submitted my proposal. Um, but obviously, we didn't really start putting it into practice until the students came back in September. And then it's kind of run all the way through up until uh, April time. With I've got different phases involved in it, but it's, uh, it's quite a long term project. So I think that's new for OTLA this year in terms of the length of it, actually. I think previous ones have been shorter. But this means then that you were caught up in students going, in, us going into a lockdown again, which you wouldn't have anticipated, of course. Yep, and that was just when I was getting into phase three. And yeah, you're absolutely right. That's where it just all went a bit bleh. And uh, yeah, things didn't quite work out as expected. But that's what you get when you're doing action research, isn't it? You have ups and downs and things don't work out how you expect them to. Exactly right. Regardless of any pandemic. <laughs> that's yes. that's, yeah, very true. Okay, so um, tell us a bit about um, you. You know your data gathering, if you like. How did, you know, were you observing? Were you asking questions of students? How did that work? 
Um, OTLA are very keen on um, not so much doing the data-driven side of it. It's more to do with the student experience and uh, the collaboration experience. So there were uh, discussions with students. Um, I got feedback from um, teachers that were working on the projects as well um, as the students and also the people that I called reading influencers. Mm. Oh, I read, oh. We'll come back to that in a minute. I mean, that is that is that is still data. It's qualitative data, though, isn't it? And and were you so it was, it was sort of interviews and conversations. It was dialogue that you were gathering, was it? Yeah. And then looking at that to see what it was telling you. Is that how it went? Yeah, I've all, I do also have data as well. So there was a couple of um, I did a questionnaire as well that people fed back on, um, but I also had uh, some reading age assessments that a small group of students did, um, and I've also looked at their start and end points or, or their predicted end points for this year as well. Okay, so actually, you were using a number of measures, if you like, to look at the impact of your 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 intervention. Um, I'm calling it intervention. I'm not sure what you call it. Did it have a title then, your project? Has it got a title? Yeah, it's called Reading Influencer. Uh, it's called that. Right. Okay. So tell us about that term and who your reading influencers are. Right. Okay. So the term Reading Influencers came about because as um, I wanted something, a title that wasn't really boring, something that we could get across to the students that they'd kind of relate to. Thinking about social media, you obviously have influences there. So it kind of came from that. So I actually, I've actually come up with the, the acronym TRIP, the Reading Influencer Project. It's just kind of a nice thing that I can put on the top of uh, PowerPoints and things. And it just kind of, you know, hopefully people will remember that and it kind of comes out but yeah it's all about having people um who can influence students reading mm. it trips off the tongue hopefully yes <laughs> yeah very good okay and how many um reading influences have you got have you you know got have emerged in this project then well, it's really interesting because I, I did send out an email round about July, so before we finished last term, um, to in phase one to the college-wide community. Um, and actually, I got back quite a few reading influences. It was brilliant from all sorts of, of kind of areas for phase one. So it was, um, we had had one lady who works in uh, finance who did about seven or eight different recordings for me. Um, I've also got drama teachers, business teachers, science teachers, um, music, did I say music teachers? Music teachers, um, as well as kind of other English teachers as well, and a couple of students in there, but kind of all in different phases. So quite a few in the end. Yeah. And what were they doing? What were they recording themselves reading? Is that the. Yeah. So the idea was that um, I had some extracts that um, were that I thought would be of interest to students um, in phase one. And I got uh, people to record those extracts. So it was only about a page and a half, about about as long as a GCSE exam extract. Um, In phase two, I did actually use exam extracts and for that one I did just focus on two um, vocational teachers so I had Lyndon who's a music teacher and Nicola who's a drama teacher and they were just amazing so good we used those ones in the classroom and then with phase three I was hoping to get some student reading influences but that's when lockdown kicked in um, and it just it didn't take off as well as I hoped really 
All right. Okay. So how, how did you adapt then? What happened? Um, well, with that one, it was it was kind of the planning of what we were doing at the time, because round about January, we move on to reading paper two in English and we were doing the reading section. So that's it's quite heavy. You've got two one and a half page extracts to read to go with the various questions as well um, and to be honest I did try it out in the first lesson I tried it out with students and it was just too overwhelming too much so uh, basically what we did is I just cut it down um, cut the extracts down to smaller passages um, but unfortunately they weren't necessarily the ones that the students had done um, and I could couldn't get them to redo it at that time so it was it was difficult but we we still used audios and that's my whole point about this is that we're using audios that uh, you know that everybody can access yes and audios from people that you feel they would connect with that the yeah students yeah and the main point with it with it with it being an influencer was that I w- what I desperately wanted to do was get um get people reading that were doing or at least worked in the vocational areas that the students were interested in. So they could see that it's not just English teachers that read and go blah, blah, blah at them from the front of the classroom, but their IT teacher reads as well. And their carpentry teacher reads or um, the person who works in our finance department who did business at college reads as well that was the whole idea behind it I see where were they accessing these audios Um, just on an internal system or did you go to social media with them like TikTok I'm thinking so that would have been a good thing wouldn't it no we stuck to we did use um, Google Classroom as a platform um, for the first term, so I did it in six-week blocks with the phases. Um, in the first term, it was all on Google Classroom, and students would access that. Um, we could set it as homework if we wanted to. There was a Google form that went uh, along with it that had comprehension and vocabulary questions, and then we could discuss it as well. Um, in phase two, it was more of a those extracts were played in the classroom. So we actually used... Um, one or more extracts every lesson um, that were based around GCSE texts. But again, we could use that. So we all know that we had sometimes we had lots of hybrid lessons, didn't we, in from October to December. So sometimes I'd be doing it to people in the classroom and also people at home that were isolating and working remotely. So it worked perfectly, worked really well for that. Okay. Um, well, I'm da- I am dying to hear about all the outcomes and the, you know, the, well, the influence of the, of this project, but be, I'll, I'll be passing over shortly to Alistair for that bit. But I just want to ask you before I hand over to Alistair, um, about what kind of teacher research looks at like at your college? Is it just the people who are maybe involved in OTLA or are there other strands of activity going on? Well, it's very interesting because at the moment there isn't anything going on, but um, we've had a recent meeting and the uh, vice principal's very keen on now bringing in action research as uh, a part of what the English and maths team do. Um, I'm also keen as well because I know my mentor with um, with the ETF has told me that, you know, the next round of the OTLA is going to start coming up. So I would love to kind of be able to, to promote that within our college and our department as well and, and hopefully get more people to be taking part in action research because I think it's so important. But 
ideally what I'd love to do is I would love to do it college wide. I would love to get people collaborating um, a bit like I've tried to do here with different parts of the college, um, but just getting you know more of a connection between the vocational areas and with English. Brilliant. So well, it sounds like you've made a good start. <laughs> I'm going to hand over to Alistair. Excellent. You need to be careful there, Angie. I think doing doing the uh, the next stage of the OTLA collaboratively like that, a little bit like a gateway drug to more in-depth research, because um, that's exactly what, uh, how it kind of evolved for me, certainly. So you, you'll be uh, up to your eyeballs in loads of research projects before long. Um, but I'm curious, this work that you've been doing, is there any um, literature that's informed your thinking as you've been going along, or is it just something that you took, took forward with a hunch and, and explored, really? So about five years ago, um, I did take part in a year-long level five specific learning difficulties course at your local university, which I absolutely loved. And it really kind of springboarded my um, the fact that I, I desperately want to help students who have dyslexia and who really struggle with their reading and their writing in English. So that was kind of a springboard for everything since then. Um, more recently, I have been reading an awful lot, um, a lot online more than books, obviously, because books are quite difficult to come by at the moment because you can't get them out of libraries. So I've been doing a lot of online research um, and looking at what's going on with dyslexia uh, around the country and around the world. And, yeah, just really understanding that. And it was do, during that research um, that it was really clear that audios will really help people that um, that have dyslexia. There was one thing that I picked up on as well, um, quite a lot of stats out there. There was one organisation called Audio Publishers. I think they're American. Um, and I picked up on a statistic from there that said reading while listening improves comprehension by 76%. And it's like, right, I've got to do something about that. I know I can help these students. So that's kind of another uh, place where my research started, really. That's really, because that's a huge percentage, isn't it? That that makes a difference to a lot of people. And um, it's interesting that you, that you say that because... Um, my youngest daughter is dyslexic and uh, she does enjoy reading um but she does like reading collaboratively along with those or with her sister um so that we can either do some of the reading with her or share or help her kind of get past those hurdles so i can kind of see why that would work as well it's that um it's it's almost like a hand holding isn't it without the the physical nature of someone being there to take you through Absolutely. it. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, my youngest is has just been diagnosed as well. Maybe that was another springboard for it. Last uh, March, my youngest was uh, diagnosed with severe dyslexia, and he just absolutely hates reading fiction. He won't, but he will listen to audio books till the cows come home. Every single day, he's he's listening to an audio book, and that's a, another reason why I thought that you know this would really help people. Right, I'm just going to jump in there and just say you two are very lucky there because my son, we're, we're very neurodivergent on this podcast, Angie. Um, I think that's my family. We're all dyslexic, but um, my son is severely dyslexic, but he won't read and he won't listen to any audio either. So, oh. you know, he's 13, so he's he's <laughs> he would be a challenge for you, I think. Yeah, that would be really interesting. Does he say why he won't listen to audios? What happens? Uh, I mean, it might be that the Xbox takes up too much time, to be honest. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it's really. Um, it's, it, when I think about how book rich his 
early childhood was. It's it, it, it's horrible now, you know, he just, he's just completely turned off it. Yeah. yeah, it's really sad how that happens. And I think we see, I see that coming through more and more from secondary schools as well, because my eldest has just finished secondary school now. And he was such an avid reader at primary school. But at secondary school, there was, I don't know what happened. There was some switch there and he was just not interested in reading anymore. Difficult. Maybe, maybe Joe, um, your, your son needs an influencer to get him reading. He does. <laughs> We did have a local football celebrity, actually, who did do an audio recording for us. And I was uh, looking for, I did put some calls out for some celebrities, but nobody came back, unfortunately. It's really good, though. And and it's a snowball thing, I think, isn't it, that that can work. Um, So we've talked a little bit about some of the the things that you found out along the way. But um, if you try and sum them up, what, what do you think the emerging themes or the key findings from your project were, really? Um, how would you um, tell get somebody else on board, really? There was uh, a few interesting findings, actually, not just from the students, but from other people as well. Um, what I did find is that it had a, a proven impact on reading ages from the small cohort that I actually that I piloted it with. I did use it with all of my GCSE students, but I just focused data wise. On a, on a small group um, and I did notice that their uh, their reading age improved by at least one year and um, in some cases two um, it really did kind of highlight a focus on reading as well not just with the English department but um, you know with other areas around the college and uh, significantly with our additional learning support department as well they've picked up on quite a few of the, the ideas that were kind of run along with the project um, and the fact that it got you know vocational teachers together as well so obviously the people that read our extracts also were able to see the kind of extracts that students study now at GCSE um, but one interesting thing that I really did find after speaking to a few people and try and get to get them to become reading influencers is that not very many people are confident about reading out loud even as an adult and even as a teacher. So um, that is one really interesting finding that I came out with. Oh, I could relate to that. I feel much better doing it now than I ever did in the past. But um, Jo Joe will probably nod along while we're recording this, but she doesn't let me do the uh, the beginnings because I'm terrible at reading out the intros. <laughs> I can't I can't keep up or stumble on the words. Um, so I, I completely understand that. Um, and and it, it's quite possibly a, a barrier in some of the things that I've done. So I have to find my little ways around that. Um, taking it forward then, what do you think this means for your students coming up? Um, maybe for your college as a, as a wider area and perhaps even um, if this, if you think this is something that we can share wider with, with other places as well. I mean, you're doing that with the podcast now, but um, wh- where do you think it, it's going? What, uh, what's it mean? Well, I'd definitely like to keep this going. I don't want this just to be a, right, that was an OTLA action research project for uh, 2020-21, and then it's never seen again. Um, I'd definitely like to keep this going within the college. And I do spread try and spread the word. Um, I've got a Twitter account as well that I sometimes tweet about what I'm doing with this and asking questions of other teachers as well um, and just sharing what I'm doing. 
Um, but kind of within my college community, I would love, I'd be desperate to get more vocational teachers on board because uh, I did get a handful last year. But I'm hoping with this um, that uh, maybe I can promote this within the college. People are much happier to listen to podcasts, aren't they, than maybe reading a, a TES article. So I can attack people from different um, sides with this one. Um, but I do still get um, there's a specific teacher in catering to, to, uh, to catering teachers who I keep bumping into in the college. Well, not bumping anymore because you can't do that, but socially distance bumping that um, I say, right, OK, this year, make sure you give me those extracts and I will get those done for you. So I'm just hoping to kind of expand it a little bit more. One thing I'd love to do actually for the teachers as well as, you know, for the students is maybe, I don't know, get a little bit of voice coaching going for teachers and make them feel a bit more confident with things and maybe kind of get them to do a bit more reading. Um, but for the students, ultimately, I want them to be able to go away and say, I've read a book, which is what a few of them have done with the project so far we've got a, a small handful that have absolutely loved the project and have been interested enough to go away and actually have a look at the books that we've been looking at i love the idea of the voice coaching part of it and i saw joe nodding away when you said that i was thinking oh that'd be fantastic and i guess as, as well when you've got um and i know that, that we don't want to kind of get um snowed under by data and things because it's it's more than just that but when you've got data that's quite conclusive in suggesting that it's improving reading ages the way it is i suppose it's hard not to um kind of want to to contribute towards that anyway because it's not just something for the sake of it there is a, a genuine purpose and proven um proven result from it so you mentioned a few things in there about where you'd like to take this one, but um, what else is next for you? Are there any, any other projects linked with that? Anywhere else you might like to uh, expand, even given magic wands or infinite amounts of money, where would you like to take that? Um, I would, well, I've got a kind of a sub, a sub little project running called Reading for Meaning, um, which is where uh, I've got the additional um student support kind of working with me on this one as well and running it um, but for potentially for our, uh, our tuition funding students that we're going to be doing some work with potentially doing this thing where we have an extract it's read out but instead of doing any writing about it all we do is talk no writing at all it's all based on discussion so maybe for about you know little half hour chunks and sessions where I'm hoping to build that into GCSE uh, classes that we have next year as well as maybe doing extra stuff like that but if I had all the money in the world I would love to get Stephen Fry to come and do some uh, some reading for me <laughs> I love his voice. That would be brilliant. <laughs> now, we can't offer you Stephen Fry, but we could offer oh. ourselves to you. Um, I'm just Lovely. thinking, now, one of us here, not Alistair, does actually have a qualification in, in voice and speech. Oh, but you didn't know that, Alistair, I do. That, that's a new learning day for me. <laughs> I can't say in the recording the name of the certificate. When we stop recording, I will tell you what it's called. <laughs> That's too funny. Um, are you part of the English Association then, Angie? Because I think they're setting up a podcast, so you might want to get involved with them then. Do you know Elizabeth Draper? Yeah, I've kind of interacted with Elizabeth on Twitter. 
Passion as you for a cross college reading uh, project is almost she's been on the podcast before. But I know the English Association is setting up a podcast, I believe. Um, hopefully, we'll get this out before they do. Before they can, not that I'm competitive. Um, you you nearly beat me to it there, Joe, as well, because I was going to say Elizabeth Draper mentioned the important role of just talking about things in English, and and she mentioned that in the podcast we recorded with her. So it's exactly the same. Um, kind of things that you would just mention then as well, Angie. So yeah, yeah I'd love to talk to Elizabeth. Yeah, well, what's, your, um, what's your Twitter account? What's who are you on Twitter, Angie? It is. Uh, sorry, let me do that again. <laughs> I can't remember. Oh, so. uh, right. Okay, I am at English Fe three. Oh, yes, of course you are. It's difficult um, when it's not your name and then you don't know who owns what account. But that's great. So anybody listening will be able to make a connection with you there or amplify, you know, the kind of work that you're doing or maybe get in touch if they, you know, want to work with you on project or something. I would love that. Yeah. Well, look, uh, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. I wish you a very happy summer indeed. <laughs> I can't wait. Thank you. It's been a really lovely experience, actually. So thank you. Excellent. Thank you for joining us. You've been listening to the FE Research Podcast. You can follow the conversations on Twitter using the hashtag FE Research Podcast. Thanks for listening and hopefully you can join us again soon.